Well, good evening again. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. It's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be a child of God. It's a privilege to uh, to have peace with God and to know where we're going. That is such a blessing. As I said last evening, uh, for the second of the names of God, I want to look at the name that is uh, is first used in uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 4. If you remember, in Genesis chapter 1, in the creation story, uh, it is the word uh, God, or Elo the Hebrew word Elohim, is used exclusively. And that is uh, the... Uh, that gives us the understanding that he is the creator, the, the sustainer of the universe, the sovereign God. But now here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, uh, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Uh, Lord in capital letters. Now, later in the week, we're going to look at Lord uh, with in the lowercase, in the capital L with lowercase. And, you know, you don't even notice it with, uh, unless you're looking for it. But it does have significance. Uh, this is the first place it's used, and as such, it has significance there. But we must remember that the first books, of, five books of the Bible were written by Moses about 800 years after the flood. Evidently, God referred to himself as Jehovah. Uh, they, I used the word Lord and Jehovah there. Uh, Jehovah is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word Yahweh. Uh, it's translated as Lord here in our Bible, although there are times when it also uses Jehovah. Uh, but uh, Jehovah and Lord are one and the same person. But uh, evidently God referred to himself as Jehovah, but his people did not understand the significance of that name. In Exodus chapter 6, uh, and, and I'd like to turn to that, Exodus chapter 6, we understand uh, God told Moses that the patriarchs did not know him by that name. Okay, I'd like to read, uh, start at verse 1, and the Lord uh, of chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto I Abraham, and unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. 
And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. <coughs> Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bring, bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I And I will bring you into unto the... Excuse me, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Uh, they did not know him, the patriarchs did not know him as Jehovah. But here he is clearly identifying himself as their God, who is Jehovah. And we find the revelation of that name in Exodus chapter 3. Let's turn back to that. So God appeared to Moses and he asked him to go uh, to Egypt in verse 12. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the, children, the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say it to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou sh Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The Hebrew word that is used here as, uh, as Lord is derived from a Hebrew word that means to be or being. Another word very closely related with that root word means to live. Uh, so when we read the word Lord in the Old Testament, we think in terms of eternal being, eternal existence. Uh, God said, I am that I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. Now we cannot grasp that concept. Something that always was. Something that always will be. Uh, we understand that we are, our souls are eternal beings, so we kind of get that. But to think of something that always was, uh, you know, the, the world is, is trying to come up with all kinds of ideas of, of how this world began. But they're not accepting the idea that God always was. This idea of the I am 
is consistent throughout the entire Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. He always was the way he was. I should say, he always was the way he is. And he will always be the way he is now. He is, I am. When God wished to make a revelation of himself, he used this name. Uh, and it's significant that it doesn't appear in the creation story. Up until then, the narrative, remember, was the creation. Uh, but in Genesis 2-4 there, we have the, uh, the creation completed. We have the account of the creation of man and God's special relationship with man as distinct from the rest of creation. And so God comes into communion with the one that he made in his own image as Jehovah, Lord. Uh, it says he is Jehovah, he is uh, Jehovah Elohim. And so uh, there is a distinction here. There is an addition to it. As we look at, at uh, who Jehovah is, he is righteous. Consider these passages, Psalm 11:7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Daniel 4:14. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. Deuteronomy 32. 1 to 4. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender bush, and as the showers upon the grass, because I publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is, he is the rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and righteous is he. It was as Jehovah that God put man under moral authority. It was as Jehovah that God gave Adam and Eve that one prohibition, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Leviticus 19, 2, And the Lord God said unto Moses, Speak ye, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Because, uh, and because of that holiness, it, it, was, uh, it was Jehovah who was outraged because of the sin of man. It was Jehovah that sent man out of the garden. It was Jehovah that pronounced judgment and meets out punishment. The name Jehovah uh, was so sacred and holy to the Jews that they were afraid to pronounce the name. To this day I understand uh, the name Jehovah is never read in the synagogue or uttered by the people. Rather, the name Adonai, which is... Uh, the Lord in lowercase letters uh, 
or they use another word that simply means the name. But Jehovah was their, uh, <clears throat> their God. Included in this name is the love of the Lord. It was Jehovah that gave them the promise of the Redeemer. Whenever we see the name Jehovah or Lord, after the account of the fall of man, we see that he is, he is seeking to restore mankind back to the original position. This is called the name of God. And uh, that's, what, that's, what we, uh, <clears throat> that's what we find there in Exodus 6. Uh, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, but by the, name, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. His name, his proper name, is Jehovah. Uh, just as my proper name is Roy, Jehovah is God's name that identifies him. Tomorrow evening, we'll be looking at the, the third name, uh, that of El Shaddai, or God Almighty. Okay, I think at this time, I'll ask for our, our theme song. Turn with me this evening to Genesis chapter 4. Previous in chapter 3, you'll remember, we have the fall of Adam and Eve and uh, the repercussions from that. They were cast out of the garden. There was the promise of the Redeemer in, chap in verse 15. Uh, the women was, the, Eve was given the curse. Uh, greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and so forth. <coughs> Adam was cursed as well. Uh, but then we come to chapter 4. I'm going to read the first seven verses. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto, the, unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In this portion... We have the seed of Adam and Eve gone to seed. 
It's now reproduced in their children. Let's look at the details of the story. We have two sons. We have two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel. These these men had two different occupations. One was a uh, was a farmer, and the other uh, had uh, was a shepherd. We don't know how much time elapsed here from when we don't know how old they were put it that way uh, but they were old enough to be well established in their occupations verse 3 there it said in the process of time now there's a marginal notation in my bible that says literally at the end of the days now it would appear like there was something that was expected I don't we don't know the details but uh, in the process of time or at the end of the days uh, they appear they uh, Cain, uh, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord Abel did the same was this something that was commanded we don't know for sure you know we do know, it would appear that God had given previous instructions about what was required to cover their sin. Uh, we know that it took the death of animals to cover their nakedness. We have that back in uh, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coat of, coats of skins and clothe them. So, there had to be animals killed in order to cover them. Uh, it would appear that God had given them instruction on what was expected. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought the best of his flock. And Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's offering was accepted. Uh, and I, I find it rather interesting, rather than concern of his rejection by God, he got mad. Uh, he, was, he was rejected. How could that be? I bought the, brought the best I have. And God said, why are you so angry? Uh, you know that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. That indicates that they knew what was going on. They knew what was expected. But he said, if you don't do well, sin is lying at the door. And the, uh, the English Standard Version says, sin is crouching at your door. Uh, and unto thee shall be his desire. And uh, you need to rule over him. Uh, you've got to get a, a handle on this. Was God, what God was saying. This idea of sin crouching at the door uh, brought to my mind uh, 
verse in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan wants to get at him. 1 Peter 5.8, behold, be bold, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you know, God's statement to Cain is just as true today as it was when he said it to Cain 6,000 years ago. Sin is of the devil, and he uses it to get us. He's crouching at the door of our hearts, uh, and he desires to uh, get us to sin. It's absolutely essential, it's absolutely imperative that we gain mastery over sin, or we will go the way of Cain. I've titled the message tonight, Sin is Crouching at the Door, and What to Do About It. Now, the only power that Satan has is the power of deception. In John 8.44, Jesus said of Satan, There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Uh, Cain didn't deal with it. Cain didn't master uh, sin. He eventually killed Abel. And when God punished him, he complained that his punishment was greater than he can bear. You know, you've probably heard this before, but sin will lead you where you don't want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you much more than you're willing to pay. Now let's take a look at sin. Uh... We just, uh, I said previous to this was when Adam and Eve sinned. God gave them that one prohibition in the garden. They said, you may eat of everything except that one tree. Don't eat that. <coughs> and when Satan came there to Eve and uh, he asked the question, you know, can you eat of everything? And I was, well, no, we can't eat of that one, one tree there. Uh, because if we eat of it, we're going to die. And Satan jumped on that. He said, you shall not surely die. You shall be like God. What was the original sin there? When Eve took that fruit, gave it to her husband, and he ate of it. It was unbelief resulting from self-centeredness. They had previously known God to be good and kind, and he had provided everything uh, for their enjoyment. They looked forward to fellowship with him every evening. But Satan planted a seed of doubt and unbelief in their minds, and it led them to disobedience in order to gain what they felt was being held back from them. They did not believe God. They believed a lie. The seed of doubt that was planted by the serpent grew into the, uh, grew into the plant of unbelief and quickly bore the fruit of disobedience. That was the first generation. That was Adam and Eve. In, the, in this passage, we have the second generation. Cain knew what was expected, but he wasn't about to go to his brother and buy a lamb for a sacrifice. He brought the best that he had, and it was just going to have to be good enough. 
Uh, when it was rejected, he became angry. There was blatant disobedience and then anger when he couldn't have it his own way. Sound familiar, doesn't it? We probably all go there from time to time. The unbelief of his parents resulted in a disregard for what God required in the life of Cain. God told him that sin was crouching at the door and he needed to learn to deal with it. He failed. The lion got him. Sometime his later his anger against uh, his anger against God and his jealousy of Abel spilled over into murder. His was a blatant disobedience in spite of a very thorough knowledge of who God is. There was no question. He knew who God was. He knew that they had been created. But you know, Satan as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And human beings are no match for him by themselves. He is the source of sin. However, in spite of his power, through God's Holy Spirit, we are able to deal with sin and with Satan today. But we need to know that he's always crouching at the door of our, our hearts. And if we open it to him, he will get us. Rawr! He will get us. Uh, Satan is just alive today as he was in the days of Adam and Eve and Cain. And uh, sin is just as prevalent as it was then. It is important. It's essential that we learn how to deal with it. How do we deal with it? How do we do it? First of all, you must be born again. John 3.3 3 is very familiar. You must be born again. Uh, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in our hearts and gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the tools to enable us to counteract the temptation to sin. Secondly, we need to recognize the spiritual nature of sin. Uh, Jesus said in John 4.24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we accept that, then we must also agree that obedience or disobedience to his word is also spiritual in nature. Uh, and even though it involves physical action. Uh, the act of murder is pretty physical, isn't it? But we need to recognize that it was an, a spiritual act of disobedience uh, against God. It's sin. In Ephesians 6.12 we read, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, the rulers of the darkness of the world, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Throughout Scripture, we, we find that there is a continual conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of, of light, the force of Satan and the force of God. And here we have that referred to again. 
These forces of darkness are organized at different levels, all under the authority of Satan. And at present, Satan and his angels has access to heaven. Uh, Revelation 12 speaks of a time when he is going to be cast out. But at the present, he, uh, he has, uh, he has uh, access to heaven. And so today, Satan and his angels are the forces of darkness. From, and from the very beginning, Satan opposed the work of God. Sin is what he uses to draw us away. And again, sin is a refusal to acknowledge that God is the ultimate authority. Uh, sin is what Satan uses uh, to draw us away from God. We need to understand that the source of our strength is the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. Uh, without it, we are nothing. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7, 18, For I know that, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. We don't have it. We don't have it. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit of God. We of ourselves are no match for the power of sin and Satan. The only way that we can stand against the wiles of the devil is by putting on the armor of God that he provides for us in Ephesians chapter 6. He is the only source of strength that we have. So let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. This is a familiar passage. Uh, it talks of the spiritual armor. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 10 to 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's look at this armor. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to st uh, stand in the evil day. He says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Uh, the, this is taking the, uh, the analogy of the literal uh, physical armor that the soldiers wore in those days. And under the, the foundation of it all was the, the uh, a leather belt around their waist. It says, have your loins girt about with truth. So we are to have on the belt of truth. Now we understand that truth only comes from God. Satan is the father of lies. Uh, he deceived Adam and Eve because they failed to acknowledge that what God said is the way it will be. It is the truth. Uh, we must be clothed with truth. We must understand the truth of what God said and live our lives accordingly. Uh, if what we say and what we do are two different things, uh, the truth is not in us. God said, thou shalt not bear false witness so we need to, the truth we need to tell the truth even if it hurts so often we find ourselves in situations where we're tempted to fudge a bit on the truth and you know when we are sin is crouching at the door uh, we need to be very careful The, the girdle of truth or the belt of truth is the foundation of our spiritual armor. Everything else is, uh, almost everything else, is fastened to it. And so if what we say and what we do are two different things, the truth is not in us. We have lost the very foundation of our spiritual armor and we are very vulnerable to, to a deception. He says, stand therefore having on the breastplate of righteousness. Right, the breastplate of righteousness or right living. Another word is holiness. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now holiness and righteousness are so closely intertwined that they're hard to separate. Uh, righteousness speaks of our lives in relation uh, to the Word of God. Holiness speaks, uh, describes our lives in relation to God Himself. To be holy is to be Godlike. To be righteous is to live as God uh, desires us to live. If we are righteous, we're holy. If we are holy, we're righteous. But righteousness provides a standard for us to live by. He says, having, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Satan would have us live by the moment, whatever feels good. Have it your way. That's the way Satan wants. But we need to, to have on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a uh, plate of armor covering the vital organs of your body. 
uh, it was very uh, essential part of the uh, the armor righteousness identifies us as one of God's people and it, it enables us to identify our comrade in arms without it without righteousness sin is crouching at the door he said, stand therefore having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the only time uh, in the New Testament where this Greek word preparation uh, is used so it's difficult to get a proper understanding. But there are several words associated with it that mean to prepare or be ready. And so I think it would give the idea of the gospel of peace is the way we relate to in people. Again, Hebrews uh, 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The way of peace is to be uh, our pattern of relating to other people. Uh, we're talking about non-resistance here. It is God's way of uh, relating to violence against us. Without it, sin is crouching at the door. Uh, and if we let him in, if we open the door, it will get us. He said, stand therefore above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 1 Peter 5.4 reads, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So if I understand correctly, the, the shield was strapped onto your left arm. And uh, when there were arrows or darts thrown at you, you would raise that as the means of protection. You uh, advanced with the shield in front of you. Uh, it was able... To, uh, to enable some, it, it was possible for a, for a soldier to live in the middle of the battle because of the shield. When it seems like the truth is going to do more harm than good, when it seems like the way of righteousness is too hard, when the way of peace doesn't make any sense, faith will carry us through. Faith is what will carry us through. If God said this is the way we are to operate, it will work. We can trust him. He said, take the shield of faith, uh, the darts of doubt and unbelief can, can be warded off uh, with our shield of faith. But without faith, Sin is right there. Uh, and his roaring will paralyze us into doing nothing or yielding to temptation. Continuing on, he said, Take therefore the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects our head, out of which flows our intellect and our way of our thinking. The knowledge of salvation gives us the reason to resist sin and Satan. We have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. 
uh, are, we are part of the family of God. His Holy Spirit is living within me. The hope of heaven is before me. That's what we can know as God's people. And uh, that gives hope. That gives, uh, just gives us strength to go on. Without that assurance of salvation, we're fighting on our own. And sin is crouching at the door. Looking further, he says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice that the sword is part of the armor. We normally think of the sword as an offensive weapon. But here it's part of the armor. Consider with me hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, before you go into battle, you put on all of your armor. You have your belt on. Uh, you have the breastplate attached to that. Uh, on your head, you have your, selma, uh, your helmet. On your left arm, you have your shield. And you have the sword. Uh, your shield, you ad advance into the battle. Men are coming at you. You advance into the battle with your shield uh, in front of you. But you'll never be able to overcome your enemy with the shield in front of you. At some point, you have to move your shield aside uh, and take your sword. Uh, but when you do that, that gives the enemy opportunity to get at you. And so, if I understand correctly, they used the flat side of the sword to ward off the blows of the enemy until they had opportunity to use it as an offensive weapon. Uh, the, the sword was both part of the armor and also, and also an offensive weapon. Our spiritual armor includes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We see Jesus using the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God, as part of his uh, uh, as part of his uh, armor against the temptations that Satan gave to him. You remember Matthew chapter 4, uh, before he started his public ministry, he went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And it said afterwards he was tempted. Uh, 40 days and 40 nights, if I understand correctly, is the limit. Uh, a man will die. He was hungry. He was extremely hungry. Satan said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He was hungry. He had the power. Satan said, it is written, thou shalt, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Satan came back adding, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus responded, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The third time Jesus took him, uh, the Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, All these... Uh, and showed him all the nations of the world. 
and said, all these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And don't think that wasn't a temptation. He came to take the nations of the world for his own. And here Satan was giving him, he knew the cross was coming. Here Satan was giving him a bypass. Just fall down and worship me. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. That is spiritual swordsmanship. He would use the word of God to overcome the temptations of Satan. And we must be able to do the same if we're going to defeat sin. You know, the spiritual becomes really physical when we're faced with daily temptations. Uh, and without the sword of the word of God, sin will overcome us. Finally, he says, Stand therefore praying always with all prayer and supplication and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer is the last part of the armor. Uh, prayer is recognizing that of ourselves we're unable to stand. But with God's help, we can overcome. He says with all perseverance. When you persevere in something, you continue at it. You keep at it. Uh, and supplication, that it carries the idea of, 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 of strength in the request. Uh, supplication for all saints. We need to recognize that we are not alone in this battle. Uh, all of God's people are fighting the same battle. Without each other's prayers, we find it difficult to be victorious. What God told Cain is true for each one of us. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. But if thou doest not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is against you, and you must rule over it. That's the way it is today. Satan desires to get us. And we must learn how to deal with it. Satan uses sin. We need to learn how to fight against it. May the Lord bless you as you fight. I'm not going to give a formal inv invitation this evening. But if there's an area of struggle that you would like to talk about, I'm sure that any one of us in the ministry would be uh, glad to uh, to pray, help, talk with you and pray with you. If one of you ladies want to talk to one of our wives, I'm sure they would be willing to talk as well. But this is so essential that we learn how to deal with sin. Uh, and it's only through the power of God and through God's provision that he has given us. Shall we stand for prayer?